great offers and a great podcast? What a day. Thank you, sponsors. We appreciate it. This is an ICRT podcast. We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Dimitri Buyas. Hey, good to be here. And by Ross Feingold. Good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing the Mainland Affairs Council announcing that direct ferry links between Jingmen and Matsu to China will be partially reopened during the Lunar New Year holidays. Lawmakers freezing part of the Tourism Bureau's budget amid questions over its plans to attract more foreign visitors to Taiwan. Heated campaigning continuing in Taipei ahead of an upcoming legislative by-election. And Line Taiwan releasing its list of top fake claims on its app this year. But we'll begin with the Mainland Affairs Council this week announcing that an investigation is ongoing into possible illegal commercial operations by TikTok in Taiwan. The council says the investigation came after cabinet spokesman Law Bing Jung told delegates at an interministerial meeting in Taipei that the Chinese social media application poses a cybersecurity threat to Taiwan. The council says that information regarding this has been submitted to prosecutors for investigation into whether they are violating the criminal code. Now, the announcements follow a report which alleged that TikTok's developer had illegally registered a company called Sun Young Biological with the Ministry of Economic Affairs Commercial Department in March of 2018. That report said Sun Young Biological secured approval from authorities in November to change its name to TikTok Taiwan as a branch of ByteDance in the Taiwan market and then launched a recruitment drive here in Taiwan. Now, TikTok is denying opening a branch here in Taiwan and says that TikTok Taiwan has no ties to the actual Chinese application. But on Thursday of this week, Cabinet spokesman Law Bing Jun came out again. This time he told reporters that the government is currently reviewing the feasibility of a total ban on the use of TikTok here. Now, according to the Cabinet spokesman, the review is focusing on the legal ramifications of such a ban and whether similar measures that have been adopted by other countries have been successful and could be emulated here. Now, that's statement comes after officials announced plans to ban the use of TikTok and other such Chinese apps considered to pose a cyber security threat to all employees at government agencies. So Ross, a ban on TikTok, investigations into illegal wrongdoings and a ban on TikTok across the board. This is mixing in a, a several different, uh, although they're related, but they are several different issues. So the most prominent issue that people discuss with regard to TikTok globally, so not just here in Taiwan, is whether or not user data is passed by uh, TikTok or ByteDance onto the government, or if you read government in China, of course, if you read the news in the United States, it's always that TikTok user data is being passed to the Communist Party. And then people get into lengthy discussions about whether or not the Communist Party has has a need for uh, user information about uh, mostly teenagers and and, other people posting uh, uh, short, cute videos and what are they going to do with all that information. Uh, So so the, the Typically, the the initial concern with regard to TikTok is that user data may find its way into the hands of, of the Chinese government. And uh, frankly, TikTok has been caught. Uh, software, brilliant software people, computer uh, science engineers have, have proven that despite the company's past denials, that sometimes data has made its way uh, from the offshore side of, of, of the app. 
uh, what globally is known as as TikTok, and China is is, is a different version known as Douyin, uh, has been passed to China, and then the companies had to explain that we're changing our or improving our processes. So the first concern has always been the data data usage, and the next concern uh, is the the content and. and this part is getting more attention globally versus the initial concern, and that is, uh, Gavin, if you are a, a dedicated TikTok user, and, and I'm sure all the listeners know that you are, they could go to Gavin's TikTok, TikTok uh, account and see him dancing around and, and doing the latest TikTok fads, uh, that uh, when, you're, when you are looking at the app, uh, you're going to get put, content will be pushed to you that is basically pro-China propaganda for China meant to to portray the United States or Western countries in a in a bad light. Uh, so this concern is is getting increasing attention uh, because it, it, it not a surprise it turns out that with the the growing popularity of TikTok or, or the more time that people spend looking at the TikTok app. They're using it as a news source the way they might have used uh, Facebook or maybe Twitter uh, as, as a news source uh, when using a phone. Um, so that's the second concern is whether or not uh, people globally or specifically here in Taiwan are, are getting uh, propaganda for lack of a, another or more scientific term. And the the third concern that, that is being thrown into this discussion here in Taiwan is whether or not... Uh, TikTok has directly or indirectly established uh, an onshore business in violation of applicable laws and regulations about Chinese companies doing business in Taiwan or Chinese media companies doing business in Taiwan. They didn't go through the proper procedures. They've tried to figure out some some creative way to avoid that. And that's come up before with Chinese media companies, uh, big or small. Uh, and the simplest way to describe that would be if, if a Chinese media company contacted me uh, and said, Ross, can you do some business for us in Taiwan? And I said, yes. And I start calling up ICRT saying, uh, uh, do you need content from, from China? Or uh, can you pass me some content from Taiwan? And I could get it out to a broader audience. Uh, and, and, and I didn't register that properly. So then I'd be in violation of the law because you, know, you are supposed to go through certain procedures to register. Uh, it's basically a, a Chinese-backed uh, business. Uh, so that's the that's the other issue that's in the mix. I, I, I do think it's a bit unfortunate that all three are, are getting thrown together in one conversation, and, and then it, it's it's uh, unclear what exactly the the issues here are. You know, the the simplest one is probably the third one, right? So uh, if this company in Taiwan that may or may not have a relationship with TikTok or ByteDance actually does, and they didn't go through the proper procedures to to register uh, what's basically an investment. Uh, in Taiwan, yeah, you violated the law. So that one is is pretty simple. The the the, the content one, you know, we have endless discussions in Taiwan about whether or not people are watching stuff on the internet that comes from China and how, whether it, it influences them to be more pro-China or vote a certain way because this always comes up around election time and, and as well. Uh, that one's a bit harder to prove. And then the first one that that I mentioned was the data security, and yeah, that's a legitimate concern as well. But whether uh, it justifies a complete ban. I, I think there'll, there'll be pushback uh, from free speech advocates here saying you can't ban the app entirely. Ban them for government officials because they work for you. They're your employees. You could do that. Uh, but but a, you know, a, a blanket ban, just it's not going to work because people are going to download it and use it anyway. 
Well, there are many reasons why governments in like in Taiwan and the United States are thinking about changing laws to provide better security against TikTok. But I'm not sure if I understand how this app can be a national a threat to national security. I don't see the huge uh, loophole in protecting Taiwanese youth from Chinese influence either, knowing that YouTube, Facebook, IG, Twitter, they all work exactly the same way. If you pay for advertisement, you can easily promote whatever content. Yes, we can argue that the app collects search and browsing history and potentially keystroke patterns, but please, the operating system installed on 100% of the phones globally come from the US, and we shouldn't undermine the whole system just to demonstrate that the app is evil for two main reasons. Number one, apps cannot collect biometrics patterns, including face prints and voice prints stored on your phone. That's what Apple Computer says. If this is the case, then all apps can do it. And this is a national security problem so huge that we all, we should never use our cell phones again. Number two, we learned a long time ago that political parties, spy agencies and foreign governments in the West can use social media to target opponents like in the Cambridge Analytica and Pegasus spyware cases. This is a global issue at the operating system level, not just the app level. Yes, China is likely uh, using social media to promote its ideology, while Western countries and Taiwan in particular do too. So the problem is that we let kids understand this on their own and blaming TikTok and letting other social media platforms doing exactly the same is not helping. So, But here, here is my question. Why would a government official use TikTok on his phone in the first place? Because... If it's a company phone, the company can say, can decide what app you can install on your phone. So if it's a government phone, it's this problem that can be easy solved. But yeah, and that's why, well, that's why governments are solving it, right? I mean, as, as I said, if, if governments want to ban it uh, on government-issued devices, then they can do it because those are their employees they could uh, but they, do we they could need do a tiktok only law for that or we should maybe also ban youtube and twitter and the others who work pretty much the same way well for government employees i would say ban them all because government employees are paid by the taxpayers and they should be doing their jobs they shouldn't have any of these these apps on their phone so i mean to me it's it's a non issue in the context of government employees and and government issued devices, to me, again, that, that's just a non-issue because uh, from a productivity perspective and a security perspective, if, if the employer, in this case, the government, whether that's federal government in the United States or state governments in the United States or, or the central government in Taiwan wants to ban it on government employee devices, uh, yeah, sure, why not? But, but again, uh, the, the, the more complex question, and, and specifically here in Taiwan, because we're talking about Taiwan government and Taiwan users, is the feasibility of banning it. Uh, you would prohibit app stores in Taiwan from from making it available or making updates available. Uh, I think the internet savvy population of Taiwan is is going to find that nonsensical because uh, they're going to figure out how to go around that. If so many people who travel to China anyway, they would download the app or updates there. So uh, I think the feasibility of, of a, a complete ban on the app in Taiwan is is you know, almost non-existent. Of course, Dimitri, people in Taiwan 
do use WeChat in large numbers because, of course, they have family and friends in China. Yeah, they also share the same content online and WeChat. So, well, the content might move from one platform to the other, but since the logic is the same, you pay, you can push it to anyone. So uh, maybe that will bring more revenue to YouTube and less revenue to TikTok. But the issue is not solved for all that. There's a bit of a distinction, uh, uh, again, in the context of Taiwan between WeChat and TikTok. And looking at this from 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 uh, both a public policy, but we have to be frank, that this ultimately is a political issue. Uh, whereas, yes, uh, people in Taiwan use WeChat because they're they're talking with uh, friends or colleagues or well, very often clients, uh, people they do business with in China, and uh, people go back and forth between Taiwan and China. So they need WeChat uh, just practically. Uh, they need they need WeChat. Where whereas the concern for TikTok is uh, a lot of younger people are using it. And again, this this, this links to the, the the concern that that it's the, the, the platform is pushing to the users and specifically younger users uh, what's basically propaganda. Uh, again, though, uh, I think it's not really feasible to ban it. Moving on now, and the Mainland Affairs Council this week also announced that direct ferry links between Jingmen and Matsu to China's Shaman will be partially reopened to residents of the two outlying islands and their Chinese spouses and children during the Lunar New Year holidays. Now, according to the council, the current plan is to partially reopen the ferry services from between January the 7th through February the 6th. Now, council officials say there will be at most once daily ferry trips to China from Jingmen and no more than two trips per week from Matsu. However, However, officials say the limited services will be available only for residents of Jingmen and Matsu and Chinese spouses, as I said before, but they won't be available to Taiwanese working or studying in China and Chinese nationals will also be banned from using the ferries. Now, the Mainland Affairs Council said this week again that, well, it hopes the limited ferry services during the Lunar New Year holiday period can pave a way for the full resumption of services. So, Ross, they're reopening the, partially opening the three mini links here, but with limited access. And of course, this does come amid concern because of the coronavirus outbreak in China, that more people could choose to come to Taiwan proper via the outlying islands and bring the virus back with them. We seem to be having a new wave of virus here in Taiwan anyway, judging by uh, not just the data, but but uh, uh, the most recent press conference um, on Thursday of this week, uh, the officials acknowledged that we seem to be in, in another wave because cases have really increased significantly. Uh, I don't think the case increase that we're, we're experiencing here in Taiwan is is, pro- is the driver of, of the limited nature of, of this well, it's basically a bubble uh, between uh, China and, and Jimen and Matsu for a very limited number of eligible persons, as you said, residents and their spouses, only residents of those islands and not residents of Taiwan proper. Uh, I, I think this is more a political decision than, than a public health decision. Uh, we have opened up inbound travel to Taiwan uh, pretty much for the, the whole world, except China, uh, the quarantine procedures have, have largely been eliminated. Uh, there, there is uh, some self-management procedures for, for inbound travelers. Uh, even when discussing the increase in cases yesterday, officials said we're not going back. We're not turning back to, to the quarantine and other strict measures we had on inbound travelers. So uh, inbound travelers and the risk 
they present of bringing virus into Taiwan, it seems for the most part the authorities have, have become comfortable with that risk. Uh, so the criticism or the opposition voice to what was announced yesterday is uh, the Chinese, uh, sorry, uh, people from Taiwan who live in China for work or study, uh, joining their family who are working or studying there, who were hopeful that they could use this as a, as a transit point, right? So they could take a ferry from Xiamen to Jinmen and Matsu and then uh, take an airplane over to Taiwan proper. And uh, I think the authorities, again, they're comfortable because they've, they've shown us they're comfortable with the risk of inbound travelers uh, flying into Kaohsiung or Taoyuan uh, or Songshan. Uh, but uh, I think it's a political decision. They don't want to have too much opening. Why should we open to China? What is China giving us? So from a political perspective, I can, I can understand the politics of it. Dimitri, obviously, lots of people have been screaming for this to be open for quite some time, especially residents of Jingmen and Matsu. Yeah, I don't, I don't see the point why we've waited for so long, because uh, since we only welcome uh, Taiwan people with a Taiwanese passport, they were kind of able to travel to another country than enter Taiwan. So it's just increasing the cost of coming home for the Chinese New Year holiday. Uh, yes, we can expect uh, maybe a variant coming from China in a couple of weeks and months. We can prepare for that. But the variant could either come from Jinmen or from travel from another country in Southeast Asia and then arrive in Taiwan. We should prepare first and welcome Taiwanese. There are more than a million Taiwanese living in mainland China and millions also living outside of China. So, well, they all welcome back uh, in Taiwan for the Chinese New Year holiday. It's also a test for the government for the future reopening to China and maybe the reopening to travelers with people from uh, more visitors to Taiwan. If we hope to have more visitors in Taiwan, at one point, the question will be, should we welcome Chinese people as well and reopen the links between uh, Taiwan and China and the direct flights and increase the number of direct flights from Songshan to China. So we should maybe work step by step. And this is maybe a test. We can see if we can maybe uh, maintain the same levels of daily infections in Taiwan with slowly opening to, to China for more practical reasons. There's no chance under the current government in Taiwan or a future DPP-led government, and possibly even under a future Kuomintang government, that Chinese tourists are going to be welcome back to, to Taiwan. So I, I think yeah, you could just give that give that one up entirely. We could talk later in the show about what the Tourism Bureau is doing or not doing to address that. Uh, but uh, pandemic or not, or even in a post-pandemic world, I, I don't think, uh, again, under a DPP government, uh, Chinese tourists are going to be welcome, nor do I think the Chinese government will encourage. In fact, they will take active measures to discourage Chinese tourists from visiting Taiwan, which is a tool that they, you know, they could use through pressure on airlines or travel agencies not to arrange tour groups to come to Taiwan. So I think that one's pretty much gone for the near, the near term. Um, uh, I, I would disagree with, with Dimitri. I, the 
this one million number is is something that's repeated in a lot of news stories, but it's actually not true. There are not a million Taiwanese working in in China or living in China. Uh, the, the, there's no data to support that. Actually, I, I think it's it's, a, it, it's, it's one million. It's, it's not it's, true. You can't include the Taiwanese can't, and their families. You can't prove it. I, you can't prove it. I challenge you to find any data that proves this. It's repeated in a lot of news stories, but it's not true, uh, and it's certainly not true at the moment because of the pandemic. Uh, so again. Politically, the, the government here feels they could get away with it because uh, you know, it's a small number of people who, who are, are, are complaining about the difficulty of traveling back and forth, and uh, they don't vote for the government anyway, so the government could get away with it. But of course, Ross, the KMT has cried foul because it omits business people and students from coming back to Jingmen. They could cry foul, but uh, it's kind of silly to to go back to to the point I just made a few minutes ago about the voting. Uh, Every presidential legislative election, right? There's always the attention on uh, oh support from the the Taiwanese who live in in China. Yeah, they're gonna first they're gonna donate a lot of money, which. They actually rarely do. And then the next story is, oh, they're all going to fly back and vote, which actually very few of them do. And in the last few elections where the DPP, presidential and legislative UN elections where the DPP crushed the Kuomintang, uh, these returning voters turned out to be a complete non-story and completely irrelevant uh, to the result. So in a way, it's it's you know, this this constant hope that the Kuomintang has that, that, that they're uh, doing something for a constituency that that makes a difference in elections, uh, they're they're probably just wasting their time and resources, though. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan this week and staying with cross-strait issues, or travel issues anyway. Lawmakers this week voted to freeze 10% of the Tourism Bureau's 2023 budget until it presents a detailed report on its plans to attract more foreign tourists to Taiwan. Now, the freeze was ordered by the Legislative Transportation Committee after it reviewed the Bureau's budget proposal. The Tourism Bureau is seeking a total spending budget for next year of 6.03 billion NT, and of that total, 68.79 million NT has been earmarked for use in promotional campaigns to attract tourists to the island. Now, according to the committee, the Bureau has failed to properly explain how those funds will be used and appears to lack a comprehensive plan aimed at attracting foreign visitors to the island. The committee also said this week that the budget freeze will remain in place until Tourism Bureau officials give its members a full briefing on its plans. Now, the Tourism Bureau Director-General shot back at this, saying that, well... There is current plans, and they include spending money on commercials for international tourism campaigns, the inviting of internet celebrities to Taiwan, and they're going to form partnerships with businesses in different sectors, and they're going to join international travel organisations. So, Dimitri, of course, the government had been hoping to get at least nearly 800,000 visitors by the end of this year. That obviously questions about whether that number's going to arise. So what's the Tourism Bureau doing and should it have its budget frozen when it's trying to do it? Well, that's the million-dollar question right now. Uh, countries around the world hope to attract tourists and to boost their economy, meaning that there are lots of options and bargains. Taiwanese have one top priority right now is to travel 
out to travel abroad during the Chinese New Year holidays. So there were stories this week in many publications about Taiwanese rushing to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to uh, to 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 change their passports. So well, also during this uh, the pandemic, the another question is how much money did we spend on improving infrastructures during the pandemic? Well, maybe not enough. We spend money on boosting local tourism and hotels and Airbnbs, and they are actually as expensive now than uh, hotels in Paris or in Tokyo or in Hong Kong. The local travel is pretty expensive, actually. So how are we going to attract uh, visitors to Taiwan? It's a legitimate question, knowing that Prior to the pandemic, the government and the, the tourist bureau already spent millions on placing advertisement, invi inviting influencers to Taiwan to tell about Taiwan, the Taiwan story. So is it going to work? Well, we don't have any guarantee so far. So, well, should we welcome all the tourists and including tourists from China? Yes. Ross, you made a point. This is a political question. But we've had this question on the table for years because when the Chinese tourists are able to come to Taiwan, they make a difference because they come in large numbers. Now, whether they will be able to come again, yes, it depends now on the Chinese and the Taiwanese authorities and whether they can discuss. We do know they cannot discuss, but maybe there is a chance to, uh, on the short term, to attract more people to Taiwan. So, Ross, obviously inviting internet celebrities to Taiwan. Yeah, they've done that before. I mean, everything that the, the uh, Director General, uh, Zhang, Zhang uh, Xitong at the Tourism Bureau has, has said they're going to do is they, they've done all that before. I don't think they should just freeze the budget. I think they should um, eliminate the entire agency and start from scratch. Uh, I think uh, all three of us have lived in Taiwan for a considerable period of time. And uh, strictly anecdotally, but uh, myself and frankly a lot of foreigners I know in, in Taiwan uh, – have often thought that the two most underperforming agencies in the Taiwan central government are the Tourism Bureau and the Immigration Agency. Now, the immigration uh, has has dramatically improved their service quality over the decades that I've lived in, in Taiwan. And I, I don't just mean the, the, the ease of... of um, transacting with them when you go. I mean, they're, they're actually quite nice at the service counters and they answer your questions. And uh, frankly, they're quite patient with some very rude foreigners that I've seen there as well. Uh, but also they've changed their, the laws and regulations, which I'm sure a lot of the uh, far, foreign residents in the audience uh, would have some experience with. Uh, so they've kept up with the times, but the Tourism Bureau has just historically been a, a real underperformer and, and compared to its regional peers when, when you see the tourism promotion campaigns conducted by Japan, Korea, Singapore, Malaysia, Philippines, Vietnam, Cambodia, if, if Myanmar hadn't had a military coup and now basically a civil war, I probably would have added them as well. Uh, Taiwan is just, you just wonder what is wrong. You know, you, okay, you have a big budget, you spend money, you keep doing the same things. Okay, great. You put some 
bus or billboard ads around the region. Uh, if people have traveled to Hong Kong, they may have seen the tourism bureau ads on the sides of the tram in Hong Kong. Uh, a couple of years ago, you spent some money to open uh, some offices in India because you said you're going to get middle class or upper middle class or even wealthy uh, Indian travelers to come to Taiwan. You said you're going to make Taiwan more Muslim friendly uh, and get travelers from the Middle East. Uh, but uh, as Dimitri said, the big source of travel and, and frankly, the, the the domestic industry is just they're just better at, at welcoming the Chinese tourists, and they're just not as welcoming to the non-Chinese tourists for a variety of reasons. Language is one of them. Quality of the facilities is, is another. So what happened in, in the couple of years before the pandemic, uh, the government gave a lot of subsidies for flights and, and hotels to what were basically backpackers from the Philippines and, and, and Vietnam. You call that a big victory because you say, oh, well, look how many more travelers came from Southeast Asia. But yeah, they were a lot of them were backpackers. And as Dimitri said, they the Chinese tourists come in groups and spend money. The average daily spend was was you know, good enough to support a growing industry, but the backpacker travelers don't spend that much money. But we'll be sold on this as a big victory, and that's probably what they'll do afterwards. And uh, uh, I'll make one final point, which is why I think the Tourism Bureau needs to be dismantled and started again from scratch. And I, I encourage the audience, go to the Tourism Bureau's website, Read Director General Zhang's biography, and you tell me where in his biography he has uh, the right experience to be running this. Yes, he's had he's worked in the bureau before, uh, but prior to working at the bureau, he worked in the highways agency. And uh, initially, when he entered government service, uh, he, he uh, was in in, in uh, law enforcement. So we have a guy who has a law enforcement background and a highways, a roadworks background, is running the tourism bureau and talking about how to bring international tourists. Sorry, this is a job that requires somebody who worked in, in the industry, right? which is something Taiwan government rarely does, bring in someone from industry to run an important agency like this. Right? But this is someone who, this is a job that requires somebody with the right marketing or the right travel, hotel, uh, the relevant recreational industry experience. And uh, sorry, Mr. Zhang, you're just not the right guy for the job, in my opinion. So, Dimitri, I mean, Ross, they're saying not, not physically, but you, sh you should blow up the Tourism Bureau and start again. Well, I would start maybe with working better on improving infrastructures because whenever an attraction is popular, it's overpacked and you feel overwhelmed with a lot of people and then you will see trash around, people not following rules. And um, if you want to attract foreigners to Taiwan, you need to also acknowledge what foreigners like to do. You can't base your a campaign on visiting uh, night markets because a lot of foreigners are picky eaters and they're not overwhelmed when they just see uh, those snacks, uh, junk foods at the local night market. So you need to tailor, maybe better tailor and segment your market in a different way and make sure that you have a quality experience when you arrive at those locations. And these are really matters to Westerners when they visit a country. And they're always in awe when they go to Japan and say, wow, it's so clean, it's so easy. And and these are the kind of these are the kind of feelings we we, we, we want foreigners when they travel eight thousand kilometers to have not just 
what a mess, okay? Be careful of the scooters. And we are very unhappy when we hear of stories like the, the story about two weeks ago from CNN saying that walking down the streets in Taipei City can, can be kind of risky. Well, there is a point, okay? You need also to acknowledge our maybe weak points and work on these. And we hope maybe the Tourist Bureau, and I hope they are, I believe they do believe they do their best, take into account these and not overreact when a foreigner say, well, could be better. And Ross, I mean, this brings us to the argument about maybe the government could look outside of Taiwan to a non-ROC national to sort of do something high up in the tourism bureau, as in, like, you know, we come back to the who could who could run the airlines here. There's been a big thing, foreigners. They can't bring foreigners in to run the airlines, like China Airlines, because it's it's a no-no, frowned upon. Could they get an expert in tourism from But overseas? They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't spend the money. Yeah, this this uh, uh, was uh, by analogy something that came up in, in recent uh, weeks because of. Uh, uh, the ban from China on certain products produced by uh, Taiwan tobacco and liquor. And uh, people said, well, they got to export more. So, well, look who's running the company. You have people who uh, started their careers as civil servants, basically, in TTL and, and rose up through the ranks. Uh, but you know, if you have somebody who started their career in, in, in the bottling plant in Hualien, and then you say, okay, the guy's got uh, promoted up the ranks, well, congratulations to you. But this is not the person who's, who's really, who really has the right experience to uh, improve sales in, in United States or Western Europe or other markets around the world. So, uh, and, and nobody would ever, no foreigner, I mean, no, no one is going to leave Anheuser-Busch, Ambev or, or Coca-Cola and come work for TTNL. It's the same thing with the Tourism Bureau, right? Uh, you, you would never be able to change the culture. So you, you're doomed to fail if you took the job, but they wouldn't even pay you enough. I mean, you'd have to be, it would only be a Taiwanese person who's doing it as a matter of, of you know, To help the country, right? So you're not going to get you're not going to get uh, yeah somebody coming out of uh, Hilton or Interout or even the Trump Organization uh, to to come to Taiwan and run the tourism bureau. They're never going to pay them enough uh, to leave a, a, that kind of job and, and and come work for the tourism bureau. So it's it's basically what you're proposing is basically impossible. And again, it's, there, there's a lot of cultural issues and and. Uh, Dimitri, you mentioned some issues, which I think are cultural issues. They're not things that the Tourism Bureau can change. I mean, they can't change the, the scooter issues. Uh, some of the infrastructure issues, the Tourism Bureau could just encourage other agencies to make make the the sidewalks wider in places where there's more, where, where tourists tend to gather. But uh, ultimately, I still think Taiwan market is is really best positioned to service Chinese tourists who, again, are, are not coming back. And, and You'll get backpackers uh, from around Asia because it's a it's within a four hour travel from whether Japan, Korea, Southeast Asia. Uh, you're you're probably never going to get many middle class or well to do travelers from uh, outside of Asia. You might get some from Japan. You used to get some from Hong Kong. I don't think you're going to get large numbers of those coming back either for various reasons, including political reasons. Uh, but you're you're never going to get large numbers of uh, well-to-do travelers coming from Western Europe or, or the United States. It's too far. And when those folks come to Asia, they're higher priorities and they're places with better reputations. So it's unlikely they'll add Taiwan to the itinerary. 
And moving on to local politics this week, the candidates for the upcoming Taipei legislative by-election drew their lots for their ballot numbers this week. Now, the DPP's Enoch Wu drew number one, the KMT's Wang Hongwei drew number two, while independent candidate Xiao He Lin drew number three. The so-called lucky number draw, though, comes as the DPP and KMT candidates are continuing to butt heads and trade allegations of running dirty election campaigning filled with false accusations and mudslinging. So, Ross, I mean, you've been looking at this by-election build up and up and up and up until it bursts finally on January the 8th. I mean, is it a dirty campaign? Similar to every election campaign in Taiwan, uh, it's not much different than, for example, some of the recent uh, uh, municipal leader elections uh, around Taiwan at the end of November. Uh, the The issues are the same issues, yeah, and some of them are, are war issues for a local election and not a legislator, uh, but they are talking about some national issues as well. But, but again, a lot of the issues are traffic, Songshan Airport. Uh, uh, so people focus on on the issues for the constituency, which which is good, but there should be some national issues discussed as well. Uh, but a, a lot of it is, uh, you could call it dirty mudslinging. It, it's my side against your side and and uh, uh, ultimately the the cost here is there probably isn't enough discussion about the substantive issues because uh, there's all this literally he said she said since there there is a male and a female uh, candidate and I feel bad for the third you know the independent candidate because nobody talks about that <laughs> well there is some excitement but I can't feel the heat right now and I guess the candidates are trying hard, but it's really difficult to attract media attention after a long, kind of boring camping trail for the local election. So, well, there are some issues like the elephant in the room, this uh, Songshan Airport thing. Uh, we've discussed this many times already, uh, but there were some interesting comments uh, this week about the AIT who is supposedly against the idea of moving the airport. It was kind of a bit slightly new. There is also this uh, question about extending the requirements for the military service uh, because Enoch was in the military not so long ago. So, well, uh, there seemed to be a consensus on this issue which might cost some votes for the ruling party as young people believe that they have other things to do than train for an eventual war. So, yes, there are issues with the topics. It's been a uh, long campaign already and uh, we maybe need something more and uh, we're looking towards the holiday right now but unfortunately Ross that's not going to happen because yesterday there's announced there's going to be another one well uh, yeah, according to news reports uh, there's going to be a, a, another deputy mayor uh, from one of the Taipei city legislators Guomindang legislator uh, but the, there's a quirk there because uh, the law says if, if uh, the vacancy occurs less than a year before the next legislative UN takes takes office then there, there won't be a by-election so now they're trying to strategize like when, when will she submit her resignation and should they time that uh, you know, before or after February 1st uh, you know, whether or not it trigger a by-election. Uh, chances are they would win a safe Kuomintang seat. Uh, they probably don't want to trigger the by-election because they don't want another internal... Right, there's a lot of internal fighting going on in the Kuomintang about uh, the next legislative election. We already have some city councilors saying they're going to challenge incumbent legislators, younger younger city councilors, and that makes the, the, the incumbent legislators a bit grouchy. So uh, there might just be a lack of a legislator for, for Yoruba. But even if uh, there, there is a by-election, 
or whoever wins the January 8th one uh, between uh, Wang and, and Wu, uh, it doesn't change the, the, the majority, right? Because the DPP and its allies have such a large majority in the legislative UN. Uh, it, again, it, it's probably more fun to watch just because uh, because of the infighting it causes at the Kuomintang, which is uh, something that the Kuomintang really excels at. I mean, do you think people do have election sort of fatigue? Uh, if they do, you better get over it because this is a nonstop campaign season that, that began um, months before the voting day for the local election as the, the can, as the parties completed their candidate selection procedure over the summer, uh, July, August. Uh, and then we went into the, the, the weeks preceding the campaign in, in September, October, November and, and voting day. Uh, but a voting day for the presidential and legislative elections in January 2024. So it's it's only uh, 13 months from now. So this is a nonstop campaign. And if people have fatigue, uh, I would recommend they drink some coffee and prepare. That, that, that's a legitimate, legitimate concern because uh, this never-ending season, this Taiwanese drama about the election, at one point, how the question is who will get to vote on that day and would voters go to cast their ballot? Because we will have another big drama for the presidential election and without a break in between, parties will not be ready and will not have to maybe enough consensus to start the presidential and legislative election campaigns. And keep in mind, just, just to, to go uh, take your point one step further, is in some situations. Now, it could be for the president or it could be for legislators. The parties might also have to have uh, party primaries. Yes. So, uh, and that's always a big game as well, right? Yeah. Because who's ever the chairperson and always tries to manipulate yeah. manipulate the primary process to favor themselves if they are seeking to be nominated for president. And that might happen with both, uh, I should say all three. It mm-hmm. <laughs> might happen with uh, the, the Nationalist Party, the, the Democratic Progressive Party, and the Taiwan People's Party. Although, in the case of the Taiwan People's Party, there probably would only be one one uh, candidate, uh, Koenja Mayor Koenja. We call him Mayor for for another couple of days, uh, but the the DPP might have multiple candidates, so they'd have to have a primary. And the Guomindang Nationalist Party might might have multiple candidates, and they'd have to have a primary. And then in legislative seats, as we were discussing earlier, uh, there are already younger city councilors who are saying, "I'm going to challenge the incumbent legislator," and that would trigger a primary as well. So those primaries. Uh, I, uh, you know, they're going to be in March or April or May, and, and uh, then we'd only be seven, eight months out from the actual election. So, sorry, anyone who has fatigue, you got to get over it because yeah, there's no we, avoiding it. And we haven't <laughs> mentioned Miaoli yet, so... Well. We're not going to mention that. We've decided against <laughs> mentioning anything to do with those elections whatsoever this week. We will have to in the few weeks coming, but not now. Okay. Because we're going to leave the show now with a story about Lion Corporation on Wednesday, releasing its list of the top claims to have appeared on its app in 2022 here in Taiwan. Now, at number one, meaning it was the most widespread false report of the year was a rather lofty and far-fetched claim that drinking green tea lemonade can cure one of the coronavirus. The second most shared false report was a phishing scam that offered fake coronavirus pandemic relief payments in exchange for personal information. And at number three was a message saying that free-range chicken eggs sold at wet markets here in Taiwan are not what they seem but are in fact regular battery farmed eggs injected with colouring agents. So Dimitri, I mean, if you do line, I don't do line, but I mean, who, who believes this bonkers 
mumbo jumbo. Yeah, well, they're kind of cute. They're very Taiwan. They're not that aggressive. Well, I looked this morning at the top fake stories for the week. Uh, well, AP has has something about that, and it was about the story for this week about uh, a fake story about a hundred thousand plus uh, children uh, who have died supposedly because of the vaccination. So, if you compare those fake news stories in Taiwan and the U.S., you can still argue, argue that Taiwanese fake news stories are more cute or cuter, and. But they also show you the blurry line between reporting and marketing. So the thing about the um, lemon tea to to treat uh, COVID, that was pretty cute as well. And it also shows you that in Taiwan, everybody can be a reporter. Everybody can open a media outlet. And there, I think it's one of the only jobs in Taiwan where you don't need any qualification to start working. So, Ross, I mean, have you been drinking green tea lemonade, putting your personal information on the internet, and eating eggs that might not be free-range eggs? Well, as a vegan, I, I fortunately avoided the, <laughs> the those fake eggs. Uh, I did try to put a story out online that, that Gavin Phipps of ICRT was going to give away 10,000 free chicken patties uh, because that, that's uh, you know, the free fried chicken patty giveaway is something that happens very often here in Taiwan for various marketing reasons. Unfortunately, it didn't get picked up by a lot of line users. So uh, next year, uh, hopefully a year from now, the three of us could reconvene and talk about lines 2023 top uh, fake news stories that got uh, passed around or forwarded. And uh, Gavin, I'm going to make it my mission to put out a fake story about you. Do feel free. I won't mind at all. But Ross, I mean, do you think, do you think look, Dimitri had a point? I mean, obviously that the 100,000 children dying or whatever the number was, a million, lots anyway, of children dying is a bit extreme compared with the Taiwan ones, which you look at and you go shrug your shoulders and go, ah, someone's having a laugh. It's an interesting point, and actually that does link back to the earlier conversation we had uh, on this show about TikTok and concerns about what people are reading and are, are they reading things that are propaganda or could even, from a public uh, health policy perspective, uh, be dangerous. The Taiwan government prides itself and i think we could say that because they keep telling it to the international media when you just see all the international media coverage about the taiwan government is such a great fighter of fake news and they have such uh, well-developed processes at this point uh so uh, there there is the risk and then it's uh, it's up to you know, the platform in this case line or, or regulators and, and to be fair to to the pandemic of, uh, officials uh, they've they've made a genuine effort to rebut these kinds of stories uh, when they had the daily press conference they, they don't anymore um, they, they would frequently show some of these fake news stories and and uh, point out again that was within the context of covid19 um, and there's a role there's a role for that uh, you know, it's going to be a never-ending battle but uh, I'll, I'll just make one final point we just like with TikTok, I mean, we have to be also concerned about the risks to, to free speech or, or a regulator or government that goes too far uh, in the name of stopping fake news. Well, we shouldn't wait for the government to tell always the good Taiwanese people that what is fake news or not. I think the Taiwanese people can take a 
can have a laugh, take a step back and say, well, the lemonade thing doesn't work that well. When it comes to TikTok, we should also well, believe in the Taiwanese capability in, in judging what is fake or not fake. We shouldn't wait for the government to keep telling us what we should believe in. And that's not what Taiwan is all about. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Dimitri Buras. It was great to be here. And by Ross Feingold. Have a great weekend. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.